Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. Remember last week I thought, you know, my paranoia uh, or my hypochondria, which yeah. I've never had before. I only have during COVID. I thought I might have had COVID. Test it again. Don't have it. Negative, baby. Yep. Yep. We're just trying all to, the way. We're just trying to throw up C's. No T's, just C's. Just the little C's. Hey, have you ever seen it do a T? Have you ever? Because I'm curious. As soon as you do that thing, mine goes just immediately to a C. Yeah, I've never seen it do a T. So I don't know if the waiting 15 minutes is necessary or if like you can just go based off the first minute or whatever. But mine's never done a T, so I don't know because I've never been Because positive. that C kicks in literally within at least a, maybe a minute. Yeah, the whole thing, the, the liquid spreads. It turns all yeah. kind of purple. And then the, the line forms about like, I don't know, a minute and a half in and then you're done. If, if anyone's listening and they've had a T, does the T just kind of fade in over the 15 minutes? I'm curious. Yeah, we want to know about the T. All right. Everyone, inform us about the T. All right. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Last night, uh, UCLA played an insanely late game. What time zone is Utah in? Mountain? I don't. <laughs> Mountain. What the so hell are they doing tipping off at like 9 p.m.? I want to talk. I really, I've never cared that much, but I do want to talk about, I want to talk to someone about how these games are the times they're decided, where they're decided they're going to be tele. I mean, you get major games that are that are on Pac-12 network or other bad networks, and then sometimes just really late, and then some other games that are pretty good. I just the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. No, but and there's got to be on, some theory we don't understand. This sucker was on FS1, and it was. You know, a couple of guys. Honestly, I thought the the color guy was getting ripped a lot. I thought he was fine. Like, whatever. I've got low standards, but he actually seemed like <laughs> the he Walton had, he, low standards. Yeah, he seemed like. Well, I love Walton. Uh, he seemed like he'd actually. I love him too, but I can't. But during a game, Dave, let's just talk about Bill Walton for about thirty four seconds. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. The he golden guy. He does not know basketball anymore. There's so no. The there's thing. no basketball knowledge. No, he, no, here's, he's here's saying, what happens. Here's what happens. I'm going to tell you what happens with Walton. On the ESPN broadcast, he's doing a clown show. If you like the clown show, then you're great. You're fine. But on the ESPN broadcast, he's doing a clown show. When he's on the Pac-12 network, he actually analyzes the game. Like, he actually does talk about the game. He also talks about, like, what he's I, been reading lately. But he also mm, talks about the game. But when he talks about the game, so, more often than not, he's saying something that's just blatantly wrong. There was one time I it was toward... I think it was the end of the game. They were up by like six or seven. And there was like 45 seconds. And he's all, push it. Push the ball. <laughs> what? No. And then the, his announcer, I don't know if it was Dave Pasher or who it was, he was saying, no, uh, wouldn't you want to run this clock? No, always, always push it. Always. I mean, it's just, he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. Ah, he loves it. He's so good. I love him. Um, but anyway, uh, Utah game. Uh, UCLA uh, played Utah last night. A lot of people, and, you know, it wasn't the prettiest of games. It wasn't very good. I don't think UCLA played very well. They don't look very good right now. Um, you had a good recap. I think it captured most of the, um, I think, consensus about that game. Um, 
I guess my 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 topic. <laughs> they leave you speechless. My yeah, topic is: Is this in any way materially different than how they have looked in mid to late January in every goddamn season under Mick Cronin? Well, there's two things. Uh, back then, it was frustrating because you thought. God, this team is not very good. Are they going to get any better? My God. And now it's frustrating because we've seen what they can do and they're not playing like that. So, right. yeah. No, it's about the same, I think. Because that's They're always I, going yeah. through something at this time of the season. They're always going through an injury or there's guys sitting out or some problem during Cronin's time at UCLA. He's had to deal with stuff in January. I would. So, one thing I am interested in because I think UCLA has. has I, I don't know because I remember the Alford days and before that even the later Halland days where like guys guys just didn't get hurt. Um, but with the Cronin stuff, guys are getting hurt a lot, and I think part of it's they're playing very hard. You know, like when you play hard and you try to do things. Like when Tiger Campbell really tries to sky for that layup, he's going to fall pretty hard. You know, when when Jaime Hawkins is in there trying to rebound aggressively against guys who are bigger than him, he's going to twist his ankle. Yada yada yada. But does it seem like a lot of guys are just like they drop like flies during these seasons with uh, with whatever, whether it's a style or Maybe just luck? so. Maybe so. Uh, I mean, I thought Cronin said, well, if you're talking about the ACLs, or are you just talking about these? Because he said he I'm talking about like, the King, in, like, like yeah. David Singleton going flying into chairs. I mean, maybe that just doesn't happen under Steve Alford because they're not trying that hard. That could be it. Hey, there's there. <laughs> There's a good argument there for not playing hard. You have you have more uh, longevity. You have, you're healthier. Yeah, you're healthier for your life of bagging groceries because you're probably not going to make it to the NBA either. I have something to say, though, too. Um, there, Yes, uh, you always want your team to play hard. There are times when they're wound up, though. And, and uh, I had to walk away from this game when Cody Riley with two fouls, they, he plays four minutes in the first half. <laughs> they start the say. second game. They're starting to play, and they're starting to look. I mean, let, we'll get back to what Cody Riley does for this team. They're about two and a half minutes in. A rebound comes down on UCLA's <laughs> defensive. It's not even close to Cody Riley. I don't know what he, he has, was doing. He has no chance of getting this ball. No chance. And it wasn't like it was during the effort to get it. The guy had already come down with the rebound, and somehow in his mind, I'm going to like – rip through this guy who's four feet away from me and try to rip the ball from his hands and get a foul and get the third foul. So there's a difference between, I think there's, I think there's an element here where they're wound up so much to play hard that they're not um, under control. They're not disciplined enough to know when and when not to. I think we're seeing that all the how many times have have they fouled a three point shooter this season? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, jump. I mean, uh, there were a number of times uh, Jules Bernard, who has slowly through the course of his uh, career gotten better and better and more disciplined, obviously because you know he was the drive to nowhere guy. Last night, I mean, he made out of just too much energy, made some really. Uh, bonehead plays. I, I mean, well, and I'll, I'll over... say this about our man Jules. Yeah, Can I say something about our man Jules. Sure. Uh, there's a little bit of the uh, <clears throat> Josh Ship Kevin Love freeze out going on there too. He is he is pointedly not passing to one Mister Johnny Juzang. Yeah. Well, uh, true. But just in that game last night, 
he would run it of a shooter and they'd just go around him. One time he took such a bad angle, the guy just go, okay, well, I'll just take this baseline that you gave me. I, I just, I, they need to get more composed in their intensity, I think. Yeah, I think what it is, so uh, having watched now Cronin teams uh, for a couple of years now, um, I think he puts a lot of pressure on them, at, especially in these middle stages yeah. of the season, to get them to play harder. And I think yep. what we're seeing right now is guys trying to display the appearance of playing hard without actually fully buckling down and committing to the idea of not just playing hard, but playing focused. Because being yeah. focused is the, is, is the mental part of playing hard. Yeah, you can run around and do – it's the whole activity, achievement, that whole thing. Um, you can yeah. run around and do a lot of silly stuff. Like Johnny Juzang's defense is actually a perfect example of this. How many times do you see him just like kind of fly past the three-point shooter or like just get his arm up like five feet from the dude? And it's like, that's the appearance of trying hard, but it's not being locked in enough mentally to know, okay, that guy's going to be open because this swing is happening. So I need to get over there because that's what the scouting report says, because that's playing hard mentally. That's being focused and locked in. Um, and that's not to denigrate Johnny Juzang because he was maybe literally the only reason they won that game last night. Um, but it, it's happening with all of them. You know, Jules Bernard. I think his defense has gotten uh, markedly worse uh, in the middle stretches of the season. And I think it's because they're not fully locked in mentally. Um, I think I, I think a lot of that is Miles Johnson, too. And we'll get yeah, into absolutely. him. Uh, absolutely. I think a lot of that, he is he is wound up where, on one hand, he's being, he's being pushed to play really hard because he can be a little bit soft. So then he's playing hard, which pushes him into really, really unfocused, unforced mistakes. So yeah, there's, this is going to be, this is, this is the overlying theme of this season. Can Cronin do, can he, can he do what he, he's done the last, uh, since he's been at UCLA and that's bring, take these guys through this part of the season and then have them peaking at, at the end. Um, and let's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances right now. I mean, Jaime Hawkins, yeah, yeah. Jaime Hawkins looks like he's playing at about what? 55% maybe. I put it at 60. Did you just throw that out as a, as a, yeah, you yeah. didn't read, oh, maybe I, I read it, I, you know, I, I read okay. it in the way I read anything, which is like, you know, every other word. Um, yeah. but 55%, 60%, he's heavy legged. Um, he's not all there defensively. He's not shooting well. He's still providing a presence, but he's not playing particularly well. Jules Turning Bernard, over the ball, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, he he needs to develop a counter move to that spin because he's getting picked on it like once every t every two times he does it. Yeah. Um, but you've got that. You've got Miles Johnson still swimming. Um, you know, I thought he'd kind of put it together in the middle of December, but now he's kind of back to where he was in November where we're all kind of like WTF, mate. Um, oh, oh wait. how does the Australian come in here? At, I don't know. Oh, man. I'm trying to find the connection. Uh, who knows? Who knows? It's just, it's just there in the recess. Of my <laughs> I brain. love it though. It was so random. That was right. fantastic. Um, but you've got that. Um, and you've got Jules Bernard who still looks like he's, um, cause again, that was a different guy before the COVID pause. Now he looks like he's back to, honestly, he looks back to sophomore or freshman year Jules, which isn't great. Um, and on top of that, last night in particular, Tiger Campbell suddenly wasn't shooting well. Um, and you add all that together, the fact that they won a road game in a, you know, not an easy environment. Uh, all the Utah um, 
environments are going to be tough. It's at some elevation, and um, you know, generally the the crowds can be a little bit um, hostile. So there were a lot of mitigating factors, but they're just not playing particularly well right now. And on the flip side, they still won the game. They still won a road game by five. So, you know, you can nitpick and you can talk, you know, oh, God, Utah's so bad. Honestly, Utah doesn't look as bad as, say, Oregon State did to me. Um, So I I don't think they're the very worst team in the Pac-12. And it's a tough place to play. Um, Which leads into my main motif of that story that I wrote, the review of the game. Um, It's like you're looking through different glasses. When Cody Riley is not in the game or when he's playing not like himself, the team kind of looks like the team you're familiar with, but it's not. It's a little disjointed. It's out of sync. Uh, They're not... They're not moving the ball well offensively, de- defensively. They're they're rotating poorly. Their help is bad. It's just, but when Cody Riley and it it's happening for a, I wouldn't say the majority of the time he's in. I'd say about half the time that um, they start to click again and they start to play like they were at the end of last season when Cody Riley's in the game and playing like he can play. Everyone else then falls into their roles and there's some synchronicity going on. Um, now, whether that can happen more often, you'd have to assume it will as Cody Riley, Riley settles down. He gets bet, uh, 100% physically and from a stamina standpoint and just mentally settles in. Um, all I, I mean, not to discount all those wings, but you know, usually, when has there been a game when all when all the wings played well? Not usually. It's usually one steps up, one's me okay, the other one's bad. You know, that's and when that's they're all usually... playing well, it's going to be a biblical blowout. Like, yeah, I think exactly. there was one or two in the no, in November where they all played pretty well, and it was like a thirty point win. Right. The key to them playing well, though, as a team, is is going to be Cody Riley. It's there's a marked difference. On offense, the ball goes in. He he's a good passer. He finds the ball rotates. They get a good shot, either interior or or on the on the perimeter. Defense, there's. I mean, even though Miles Johnson is a better individual defender, they're better defensively with Cody Riley. Um, they just know what everyone does. They know their role. They know where they're supposed to be. Um, so I think a lot of this is going to be just Cody Riley getting his sea legs back. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we, there was a little bit of that yesterday. I mean, I think there were a couple of there was at least one good post move where towards the end of the game. And I think Cronin talked about this on the radio. Um, they realized, OK, they're doubling in kind of this odd way where they're doubling kind of behind the other guy. Yeah, um, that was and, cool. And every like time it. he yeah, every time he spins, he's basically spinning into another guy so he has to go quicker like every time he gets the ball he has to immediately start going and he started doing it at the end of the game um but they were what was interesting is i thought utah actually focused their game plan a little bit around cody riley um they did which You're was right. really interesting because he hasn't been very effective since he returned but i think they recognized um you know i think craig smith's a good coach and he's going to turn that program around dang uh, he's a good coach i'm telling yeah, you I yeah i mean they don't have a ton of talent um nope. but uh they uh they recognize that that's the key to this ucla team it's not 
whether Johnny Juzang gets his points, it's whether they can develop an interior presence that you have to um, double in a real way on the like very low block because um, that will allow kickouts. That will allow you know uh, passes to cutters, all that kind of stuff. If if Cody Riley can bring some focus, so there's just a fluidity to the offense when he's in. I mean, it's not even inside outside. It's just ball movement, uh, being able to catch and shoot for shots that are within the framework of the it just works when he's in yeah and i liked in this game they weren't having him float to the perimeter nearly as much um because i think that kind of whenever they're going kind of five out with cody i think you're kind of losing um the the basics of what makes him great and i think cronin has an interesting problem this year because he has more guys who are um better offensively than they had last year i mean tiger and not just in like the new additions like peyton watson but guys have improved tiger campbell is suddenly an offensive option where you're trying to get him looks like there were a couple of corner threes for him that were designed to get him in the corner to take a shot um and doing all of that requires you know kind of changing up the spacing and figuring out you know how you're going to you know make the floor balance work if you miss the shot you know and i think they're still working that out transition defense has been somewhat appalling this year and a lot of it is because tiger campbell is is more of an offensive focus so he's not the guy getting back um and then i think there's some confusion about who's supposed to be the guy picking up you know and making sure the ball stops and all that kind of stuff um because guys are not used to that role so i think there's some of this where it's just um you know still figuring out roles and responsibilities on a team that yes returned everybody but is also different in some substantial ways i mean tiger campbell is suddenly one of the best shooters on the team. And that was not the case last year. And that is obviously a good thing, but it does come with some inherent problems too. Yeah. Um, so we're at this point, they're 12 and two. <laughs> they're not a good team and they're 12 and two. So you got to come away from that saying, wow. I mean, I think they're a good team. I don't think, I, I, I don't think they're a top five I don't five think they're team. a good team. I don't think they're top I, 10. No, they're good. Yeah. I mean, this isn't – they just – here's the thing. Steve Alford's, like, one of his better teams, not the best team, but one of his better teams loses that game last night. Like, I and, think they're okay. I think they're uh, – right now, I'd put them – if there was a round robin of what we thought were top 25 teams, I think they'd probably fall at about 18 right now. Yeah, that's, but that's my point. That's a good team. That's yeah, not – It's that's good – Here's the thing. They're a good team with still the potential if they lock in, if they do all the stuff they did last year, to be a top five team. Like, they still have that potential. Um, but it requires, and this is something Hicks has, you know, kind of posted on the board throughout the last two years. And I think we've, we've kind of echoed it. Uh, <clears throat> Greg Hicks. Um, but uh, they are at their best when they realize they're not that good. Um, when they, you know, understand that they are not, you know, they're not this hyper-athletic, you know, super offensively talented team. They are a team that has to scrap. And when they scrap, they're a lot better. They're better than the collection of their parts. They are, you know, the sum is greater. Um, but they have to get there again. They're not there right now. So what we're seeing is the talent. What we see right now is it's a, you know, top 20-ish talent team. That's about where you would probably assess the talent. And when they start playing together and when they start – like I, I thought the – and this is why I was not denigrating the announcers that much. They identified something that, you know, we've kind of seen this year. They're not talking on defense. Um, and that yeah. kind of basic stuff where last year um, they almost didn't need to talk on defense because it was like a one-mind thing by the end of the year. But 
they they have to communicate um and there's not as much communication going on there's not as much cohesion but all that stuff can get figured out and it does get figured out and cronin's had a track record of doing it so i think the fact that they are baseline basically at their worst right now and i think we both agree they're a top 20-ish team and they only have two losses eh, it's not the worst position to be in yeah and especially given uh, let's just let's do an inventory here um they're 12 and two and they're uh, John uh, Jaime Hawkes is not who he should be. And, and you would think will project to be toward the end of the season. Um, uh, Cody Riley is, is not there. Not, not close. Um, and then uh, you've got other guys who you could see being real contributors. Um, Jalen Clark, I'm going to I'm going to make a confession. Uh, when he when he makes mistakes, yeah, he makes mistakes. But when he plays well, like the first half of Oregon State, was that it? Yep. Damn. Damn. That is and I'm not even talking about his outs is two threes. Was it two or three? Um it was one I'm three and then the other one they claim he had his toe on his on the line. I'm talking about the complete, full, well-rounded game, moving without the ball, the cuts, the just the just the the brilliance of stepping into passing lanes, just deflecting balls. I mean, honestly, that's the that good version in Jalen Clark. I'm going to go on a limb. Is the best player on UCLA's team. If you can get him to play more like that first half, and I'm still not just talking about scoring, but yeah, some three-point shooting, best play, best all-around player. That's the I'm I'm gonna say it. Looking at this team, I don't see I don't see a clear-cut great NBA player anywhere. But Jalen Clark, that first half of Jalen, well, I'm, I take it back. Peyton Watson, of course, project him. But damn, Jalen Clark is the next guy. Yeah, and it's um, because because you, you you can't teach that athleticism to start with. You got that as a baseline, and then what he's already added to his game just since literally last year, where suddenly he can shoot a little bit. It's not like, but like that that shot doesn't look broken. Like it looks fine, um, yeah. and he's a good enough free throw shooter that you can project. You can say, okay, he, he can probably figure out how to shoot a little bit. But he's also handling the ball better. He's he's making better decisions with the ball. Um, and then you add it to the defensive energy, but not just the defensive energy, but his understanding of the defense now. Like he knows kind of, okay, where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and then throw that in with the elite rebounding. Yeah. I mean, there's, a and, lot and then to throw in move, moving away from the ball on, uh, on the offensive side. I mean, that is an art and there uh, today people don't do it because basketball from the NBA to college is isolation game. One-on-one nah, nah, nah. moving without the ball is the thing thing of that is what basketball is all about is your your there's ball movement and then there's movement away from the ball and you find guys cutting to the basket you, you know you throw it I, I there was a there was a play Cody Riley came out to the elbow caught the caught a ball and bounced pass to Jalen Clark along the baseline which was just a thing of beauty yeah that that's basketball to me and Jalen Clark knows how to play it so I think Mick Cronin uh, is starting to play before Jalen Clark uh, fell ill was obviously boosting his minutes and Peyton Watson's minutes because 
Cronin realizes I'm going to take some lumps right now and, and watch this team play horribly and pull my hair out. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I hope it all pays off by the end of the season. Along with Miles Johnson, I, I, you've got to hope. I think, I think Cody should play 27, 28 minutes and Miles gets 12 or 13. And in those 12 or 13 minutes that he can play within himself, not make so many really just bonehead mistakes, be that solid. When, when he's just a post defender, he's good. And be that shot blocker, not, don't try too hard to where you're making those silly ticky-tack fouls. But the other thing too is, and Cronin mentioned this in an interview. I think it was an interview, I don't know if it was this week or last week. No, it was this week because I asked him the question. Um, what, is he, what does Johnson have to do to be more of a, a factor offensively? And he said, you know, set better screens. But he also said the, his pick and roll, his, his, his ability to roll to the basket. And there, there have been times when he has rolled and I think he's open and the guy with the ball in his hand won't look at him. I, think, I, don't think they, I, I don't think they trust him to touch the, take a they shot. They don't trust him, yeah. But they're going to have to take a shot at that. Because liter- go back and watch him at, 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 in Rutgers. That's what he did the best. That's, that's literally was his offense and putbacks. Yeah. Yeah. They've got to try it. They've got to <clears throat> just let him try it a couple of I'd rather have him try a pick and roll rather than throwing the ball into him when he's posted up. So. Yeah. They've got to trust it at a couple of times at some time in the next few games. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think if you're going to have him, you have to try to work him. Um, you can't just uh, let him be away, like just taking up space on offense. He has to, you have to at least try to do something where he's going to uh, be effective. And if he can't be effective, then you can't play him. Um, you can't just go four on five on offense. So. Um, Let's talk about something else basketball-wise, too, because, you know, we always get way ahead of ourselves. And, you know, no matter how this season turns out, I, I mean, it's – it's this is – we're engaged. This is a good team. It's well-coached. So we're engaged. Yeah, we're talking about some, you know, deficits with the team. But that's what you do with a good team. It's fun. Um, so what you want is for this program to continue to be good, to continue to have talent, play at a high level – and you and I were talking about this. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard right now to really project who's going to come back next season. It's it's hard. It's difficult to project a roster with super seniorism. Um, who could go pro? Who could transfer with the transfer portal? But m- probably, most likely, you know, some guys are on the forum asking me like, "What's up with?" Uh, the rest of 2022 recruiting. And I'd said, well, you know, what's up is nothing. They're done. Um, They are, if everyone returns, they are three players above the limit of 13 scholarships. (laughs) Three guys are going to have, with their commitments, which is Dylan Andrews, four-star point guard, Amari Bailey, a five-star combo guard, and Adem Bona, the five-star post. They're going to need three guys to leave. Um, You said... And uh, you, I want you to talk about this. Is the guy you see leaving most likely is Johnny Juzak? Yeah, I think he's got a plan. Like I, I think that's been the 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 hard plan for him. I think he feels, um, you know, he's already done his three years in college. Um, I think he 
probably and maybe rightly understands that his stock is uh, it's not something where he's going to be a top 10 pick like he just won't be um so he's probably you know rightly considering i'm probably a fringe first rounder no matter when i go so Oof, yeah why not go now and i i don't think he's even a first rounder right now but he's probably thinking that like i'm my stock probably doesn't change no matter if i stay another year or if i don't um, i think so and I think, uh, regardless, I think he has a plan. Like, I, I'm out. Um, so from the guys who are, who have, I'll say this, for the non-Peyton Watson guys, I think he's the most likely to leave. Okay. Um, the Peyton Watson situation is interesting to me because um, your eyes, and I'm not trying to, we're not gaslighting you. Your eyes are right. He doesn't look like a like a surefire NBA player right now. He looks like a surefire potential NBA player. He's got the most NBA potential on this team right now, but he's still swimming in so many different ways on, you know, uh, basic things, but also just strength. He's not strong enough right now to play in the NBA. However, the NBA drafts on potential in a lot of ways, um, and he has an overabundance. He's got that just... Just the pure well, length well, and athleticism and height, but you yeah. add to that his feel for the game, and you can say, okay, that projects. But there's a lot of there's a lot that he needs to do, and it's no guarantee he's going to be an NBA like a a, a good NBA player. That's no guarantee at this point. He just has the most potential of anyone on this roster. Yeah, and this is you're right. the The NBA drafts on potential, but if you look at guys that are similar to him that have been drafted last few years, and you go. Wow, I, I don't get that. <laughs> Zaire Williams, let's say. Yeah. Their skill set, uh, specifically their ability to just shoot the ball, is a, is more developed than Peyton Watson's. Zaire Williams was a decent shooter. I, I mean, while Josh Christopher was a wild shooter, there were times when, you know, he hit three threes in a row, you know, and, and had a good stroke. Uh, they're... Peyton Watson has not shown he I think he's shown the potential for every other ass but I think the NBA is going to say we just want to see a little bit more in that that there's an inkling of a of, of an NBA skill set there because right now he hasn't shown it um now whether that dissuades him from uh putting his name in the NBA draft uh, people were telling you this is <laughs> The decisions that are made here aren't necessarily, we all sit back and you as fans and say, this makes no sense. He should come back, not necessarily for Peyton Watson, but for various people. But you've got to understand the people who are making the decision and the environment they're in. They have people telling them, they have agents, they have agents runners, they have their AU guys who it serves for them to go to the NBA you got to, Oh, you are a first rounder. You're this. And they get it in their head in this little insular world of what they are. And it's not, uh, it's not an accurate, informed, well-informed balanced decision. Most of the time, a lot of times the deal is the deal is made. Like they've already come up with their whole path. And going, putting their name in the NBA draft is part of the path. And even though, let's say, Peyton Watson falls to the second round, that's still part, that's the plan more than if he returned. They would accept that as part of the plan more readily. 
Yeah, and the thing I would say about that is I, I would say it's very, very unlikely that he would fall to the second round. I mean, the thing is, even with uh, – and I think everything you said is right um, from, like, the lack of shooting and some of the lack of skill. Um, there aren't too many guys who look like him. Um, there aren't too many guys who look like him and who can do the things he does. Like, he can dribble like a guard. Um, and the way he shoots free throws is really projectable as a shooter at the next level because even if he's shooting right now he's shooting 16 percent from three and 34 percent from two but he's shooting almost 80 percent from the free throw line and that when you you know do all the statistical analysis of what projects to being an nba shooter most of the time it's free throw shooting like that's the thing that projects best to okay how how are you going to be as a a three-point shooter it's why i was thinking that tiger campbell could develop as a three-point shooter because his free throw stroke was pretty good but I wasn't expecting him to shoot 50%, but um, it's it's you can project based off a of free throw, and you look at that and you say, okay, there is a shooter there. Like, there, there's a stroke there. It just needs to be figured out, you know, from deeper. Um, and there's some things he already does, like, you know, he doesn't turn the ball over all the time. He's got a better assist. He's got a positive assist to turnover rate. So that's, you know, again, for a, for a freshman, that's pretty good. And he rebounds. Um, okay. But all those and he blocks shots. And he blocks shots. Um, but all those things, is that enough for him to want to say, okay, I'm going now to be – because I don't I, – look, I, I'm not an NBA scout or anything like that, but I can't imagine you're spending a top 10 pick on that. I can't imagine you're spending a top 15 pick on it because there's still so much that needs to happen with him. Like he needs to get uh, stronger, and you need to be sure that his body can take more strength because some guys are just skinny as hell, and that's just what they I, are. I, I can say this about uh, the Peyton Watson entourage camp, people who have influence around him. Uh, Generally, everyone around a potential one and done, every situation is nuts. I've never seen a situation that isn't nuts. They're all nuts. They're all diluted. If there's a spectrum of nutsiness, the Peyton Watson situation might be the least nutsy (laughs) that I've seen, especially... In UCLA players deciding whether they're going to go pro in the last 10 years, it might have the most sense in it of any. Will he go pro? I'd have to say maybe more than likely than not. But I think there's a there's a chance that um, that they decide to come back because he would, let's say he's late first round and that he could play himself easily into a top 10 lottery lottery pick the next year. And that might persuade the, the forces around him that it might serve him to, to come back. They have a chance of making that decision more than other, other players and their decision makers that are around them. Yeah. And um, I, I think I, I rarely say this cause I say, go get money, but I think it would actually would be a smart decision for him. Um, I think there's a big difference between those two contracts. Yeah. Big. I think, I think go get, go get like five to 10 pounds of muscle this off season. Like go, you know, just work out constantly, get yourself a little bit stronger so that you can be next year, a seven or eight rebound a game guy. And show teams that you have the strength. And I think doing literally that alone, yeah, I think you're going to be a better shooter no matter what if you get a little bit stronger. But doing literally that alone, I think would, okay, now I can project something because he's 6'8", 210, and he's able to bang a little bit. 
Um, he's not getting knocked off his uh, off his line every time he tries to drive to the basket. Okay, I can see that guy. Uh, but I think right now it's just there's so much you have to project. You have to project so much physically on top of all of the game stuff you have to project. And I think there's obviously some assets there. We're not talking about him as like, oh, he's going to be middle of the second round if he decides to go. He's probably still a first rounder. Um, it's just a question of could he be a top five pick next year if he does a few things in his game? And I think that's totally on the table for him. I, I I agree with you that I think he's more late first round, but I look at all these NBA pro- draft projections. They have him as a second round, and I don't know if these, I think it's because are... they, they think he's not going. Like, I think Vicene, who's the um, uh, the athletic guy, I, I think he's now on the table of he's, he's not going, so I'm just going to throw him in at the end. It's like kind of a lark. And, and they make those decisions because they're not just doing them randomly. They're talking to people. Yeah, and I think probably he's going to get some feedback. Like, if he puts his name in, I think he'll get some feedback. Like, look, you you could get drafted in the first round, but also there's some things that you need to work on. Um, but yeah. we'll see. We'll and, see. and the family isn't desperate for money. It's not It's not that situation. I, it's a It's a great family who who does have some vision about what's what would be best. I mean, let's just put it this way. Uh, most guys of Peyton Watson's caliber wanted to go to um, programs where they'd be able to walk in and, and for sure they were going to start. Peyton Watson looked at this roster and said, I, I mean, maybe, you know, arrogantly, he thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best player here and I'll start. But he had to realize with all of these incumbent veterans it would be an uphill battle to break into the starting lineup. And I'm absolutely certain that Mick Cronin and the staff said, we're not guaranteeing you a starting spot. So that's what this family is. And they still did it. Um, So as of right now, I'm going to say he comes back, but this is a huge caveat, a massive asterisk. If he just, if he flashes a little bit more in the next what do we got? Two and a half months. Yeah, he's he'll go. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. But so you got that, and then I, we're looking for three guys. Um, I I'd say Cody Riley. From what I know, um, he he right now is a redshirt senior. He would have a super senior year. Uh, he he hasn't graduated yet. I think he will at the end of this year. He's not he's not necessarily a guy that loves school. I think he would like to be done with school and be out. Whether that's playing in the NBA, doubtful, or playing overseas, I see Cody Riley as moving on. Um, this is a guy, then, everyone, everyone, this is a guy who I, I believe wanted to put his name into the NBA draft after the year he sat out. Like yeah. the, the, the year where he was on the um, the China stuff suspension. Like he's yeah. wanted to go for a while. So I would not be, yeah, yeah that, that one feels like almost a sure thing to me. And then you'd have to think, uh, and I, I, I want to be um, appropriate here. If we're thinking about another person who would leave, I could see maybe Jake Kaiman uh, putting his name into transfer. Yeah, and maybe um, wanting he, to go he's down not getting much, to play. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging about five five minutes a game. He, he got a little bit more. I mean, how much did he play last night? Well, he's not getting... And UCLA was down five guys, so... He's not getting guaranteed minutes ever. It's just um, what happens based off foul trouble or guys getting hurt. But he's he's out of the rotation. I'm giving Kaiman... I I like the minutes he gave. Yeah, I mean, he played... 
He played decent defense. He he blew he he fouled one one shooter. I think it was an and one. But the the other times he played decent. He was a guy to play against Utah against some of those guys who aren't too athletic, and he did decently. But I think he would see the writing in the wall with with literally this roster full up. Um, Jaime Hawkes, you know, let's say I think Jaime Hawkes will return. I've heard some things. That's another fantastic family. And I've heard that they feel they'd like him to play with his, uh, his sister at the same school, Gabriella, who, by the way, is going to probably end up being Ventura County's best uh, high school girls basketball player in its history. She's averaging 33 points a game and 16 rebounds. I don't know if she's playing. There's anyone else on the court. <laughs> um and he's got some NIL money. I, I think he would probably come back. Um, that's my guess for him. Um, and then you've got Jules Bernard and David Singleton, who, who are will be contemplating super senior years. Um, I think at least one of those guys comes back. David Singleton is probably moving toward being a coach. In his life, I, I've heard that he would have that chance, and he's that good um, of a mentor to other people on the team. And I know the staff thinks that. Um, what do you think about their status? I, I think both of them will sit down with Cronin after the season, and they'll probably both want to come back. Jules Bernard, I, I'm sure, thinks he's a pro. Um, probably puts his name in the draft, and probably gets really discouraged. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I could see you could see a variety of situations happening with a guy like Jules. Um, like you could see also him because uh, look at look at the roster around him. Um, I think he would still start next year. But you've got Peyton Watson, you've got Amari Bailey, you've got um, Jalen Clark, who Jaylen all Clark. who all could push him. Um, so maybe he says, uh, you know what, I, I might try my senior year where I am the dude. And go somewhere else um, if he doesn't get good feedback. Like you could see a variety of situations, all completely understandable with him, um, where he might want to go be an alpha dog somewhere. Um, and I think for um, for David Singleton, I think he's a UCLA lifer. Like I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, yeah. I think he'd be happy to sit on the bench and play eight minutes a game, just come in and pop a couple threes. Um, I think he's he's committed to I think the program um, in a way that like. I think when when fans watch teams, they sometimes think, "Oh, these guys these guys are committed to it in the same way I am. Like I'm obsessed with this, and you know, <laughs> I care about this." And yeah. they don't. Like largely, they don't. They're like, yeah. "Oh, you know, I play the games, and I, I I like playing the games, but I'm not I'm not even going to watch these games when I'm done playing here. Like I'm not going to yeah. watch UCLA." David Singleton, I think, is has got the same kind of level of commitment to the program that like you, uh, subscriber to Bruin Report Online, has. Like I think yeah. he. He wants the program to do well, and he wants to be a part of that. Um, and so I think um, regardless whether his minutes are you know, guaranteed to – and the thing is, with what he brings to the table and with what Cronin has seen from him, I think he is guaranteed his 10 to 15 no matter what – no matter no matter who is on the roster next year. Um, I think he's going to play David Singleton. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he's sticking around. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think – Cody Riley makes sense. Um, Jake Kyman, I think it makes sense because he's not even getting those. He's not even getting the singleton minutes where he's 10 to 15. And if he wants to play, and I'm sure he does, um, 
it's not going to get any better next year. Like you look at who's coming in and who might still be there. Cause we're talking about all these guys might stay. Um, it's not going to be any better next year. So it might make sense for him. Um, and, and I think if Cronin's going to have uh, what commonly happens uh, a lot of times, um, especially in football, the, the coach sits down and they don't say you need to transfer. What they say is here's how the minutes project for next year. And this is this is where, what how we see you. Um, if the staff sits down, and let's say let's say it comes down to between Kenneth Nuuba and Jake Kaiman. Um, while Nuuba would give you four posts, and you know that's a lot, he plays a more vital role as a as being a reserve post than Kaiman does as a reserve. Uh, what is he? Um, you yeah, need, I mean, <laughs> no one wants to carry every, what I hear from college coaches is, yeah, you can't carry, you can't carry four post players anymore in this one, one in four out uh, scheme that everyone runs, but that's because they're recruiting to the position and no one wants to go to a place. If, if you're a high school post player, you know, they've got three guys. I'm not going there. But Ken Nwuba is a special, he's another guy like David Singleton who would want to stay. Um, and he's only going to be a Richard senior next year. Yeah. How long has he been there? And I think they would value him coming back. And, because, I mean, look, look what's happened to their, their post position in two years. Um, uh, Hill uh, leaves the program, leaves you down. Uh, Mac Eddian blows out his knee. Cody Riley nearly With, blows out his knee and is out for two months. Without Ken Nawuba last year, do they go to the Final Four? No, there were two uh, two games, I think, in the tournament run where he was a critical piece. So you you if you got a guy who can do that for you and is willing to play once every five games and wants to stay there and he's a post player, because post players and point guards, hard to find. Wings, dime a dozen. Yeah. So you keep him. So I think he's. I think Nuuba's far more valuable. Um, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out for them to get down to their thirteen. Um, uh, by the way, a Dembona walks in and starts. Well, yeah. There's. Uh, let's say they Miles make it. Johnson takes the biggest leap in human history this offseason. Bona comes in and starts. Uh, uh, unless they're trying to be, you know, a little bit gracious and. They delay that for like uh, four practices. Sure, fine, whatever. He's that dude. I mean, that's a dude. And that's regardless, dude. I mean, even even if you say, "Oh, Miles Johnson knows how to play a little bit better," or whatever, what Bona's going to bring to the table from just pure athleticism is going to be shocking to watch. Stunning, stunning. What he's and he's going to make a lot of mistakes. Oh yeah, make, no, no. But it's going to be very frustrating and maddening at times. But he is going to block shots into the like second level of the stadium. Oh, he, he I mean, he is going to. Uh, he's underrated as an offensive player because he's not. He doesn't have a great uh, polished post game. So I mean, he's got a little jump hook to his game, but it's not a polished game. But what he does do is he carves out space, he catches the ball down low, and he turns and lays it in. <laughs> he doesn't need a post. He does that a lot. And then here's the other part of his offensive game. He is really advanced. I'd say good for a post player 
of catching the ball out high, facing the basket, and taking two dribbles and, and scoring. He, he is going, and Cronin will be able to use his offense and make him effective in a different way as a post player. Um, the thing about him, too, he's so athletic, he can guard. They'll be able to switch more because when you switch and he switches out onto a, 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 a wing, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, he'll he's able, eat, he's eating them up. Yeah, um, it'll be really interesting too if if I and mean, we talk about this all a lot and their often their scheme isn't this. It's a one in four out, but I'd be really intrigued to see Adembona at that wing forward too. Even though he can't shoot, I get that, and that's the way the offense is designed for that wing forward to be able to shoot. He can drive. Yeah, he, he can no, take people yeah. off the dribble. It would be really fun yeah, to it, see to see that. It would be great. So, yeah, I mean, looking at it, the, the, the roster for next year, it's basically a question of how do they free up the necessary scholarships uh, for next season. Um, and, and wait, and, we're talking – we forgot Will McClendon, too. Yeah, coming and back Will McClendon – so we were I, – I don't think we were – And Mac super, Eddie. Yeah, yeah, and we were not super high on McClendon, but in the offseason, it sounds like he was – gonna be a player i heard some things yeah they were they were impressed with him he was defending he brought athleticism and he brought shooting um and that's that's an intriguing piece um and and wait mac eddian right now if mac eddian were the even the mac eddian from last season he'd be playing 12 minutes he'd be playing (laughs) over over miles johnson yeah um definitely uh because yeah yeah that's we haven't gone. We haven't. We haven't been that harsh on Miles Johnson, but it's not good right now. No, um, I, if this is the same Miles Johnson as next season, maybe he doesn't come back. But yeah. I would think he'd come back because he wants to get his his, I, his I, graduate degree in engineering. But if uh, Bona is is there, which he is, and Edian is healthy, it I think it's those guys one too. <laughs> if we see if we see the Johnson from mid December. Um, Soon, I think you can start thinking. Okay, yeah, he's he's playable next year, but that needs to come back pretty quick. Um, yeah. So, so the the overarching thing here is they're loaded. I, I mean, we're we're talking about little, you know, moving chess pieces around, and and, and uh, Amari Bailey, <laughs> uh, Amari Bailey is he's a legit one and done guy. He yeah. is he is a guy. So. Then you got Dylan Andrews for the first time a legit backup point guard behind Tiger Campbell. Dream scenario. Dylan Andrews has gotten a lot better. He's really improved. I'm really impressed in so many different ways watching a lot of his recent games compared to just last spring. Yeah. His body's gotten better. He seems like he's trimmed up. He's improved his athleticism. His handles better. His shooting's better. He's, I'm very, very, very impressed. And just here's a little dropping something on you I've been saving for a recruiting story. Everyone's freaking out why Kylan Boswell, uh, the 2023 point guard, who's now at Compass Prep in Arizona, used to be at Corona Centennial, why he dropped UCLA from his top eight eight list. Yeah, it's Dylan Andrews is why. They're playing the same high school team right now, and... He's not going. He's not going where Dylan Andrews is. It's it's that simple. So that's the story behind that. I just blew my whole story. But there you go. Um, well, people would have had to listen fifty five minutes into this thing, and who knows who's doing that? Oh yeah, that's true. There's only three. I three guys got that little scoop. Yeah. Um, 
Two of them are us. So yeah. One other guy. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Why are you here? Why are you still here? Uh, go home. Go home. Go home. Are you too good for your home? Answer um, me. Okay, so since we're far in, let's just stop on basketball and just finish up with a little football. Uh, while we've been doing this, it's been announced. Oh, Tim, Tim Drevno. Drevno. Who reported that? Uh, I think that was me, right? Uh, I think, let's say it this. It was Bruin Report Online. We have been scooping, dude. <laughs> Tracy Pearson scooped everyone, all y'all, on Tim Drevno as oh, the offensive no. line coach. Is it great news? No, but it's news. And don't you like the way I've, I finally learned how to do this? I, I had the story. I could have just said, he's boom, he's hired. First, I said it in last week's podcast. You're getting great at the teasing. Th- then I hinted a little on the, on the forum. And then I did the story that it's likely he's the, the next offensive line. Yeah, and I think when you have a chance to hire a guy who was part of one of the worst USC teams of all time, I think you got to do it, right? <laughs> we could talk. Uh, first off, I I agree that he's not, maybe his best days are behind him, but he's not, I think he's personally not as bad as everyone says. People I talk to who know him well still think he's a good offensive line coach as a technician Great. and fundamentalist. He, for years, in his last few years in in college, just to be straight, he, he did not recruit very much. But maybe he's decided, wow, I don't like getting paid whatever I get paid as an analyst. I'd rather be an offensive line coach, and I think I'm going to have to recruit to do that. He has been recruiting. I don't, not if, I don't know to the degree of effectiveness, but he has been re- recruiting. I'll just say that. Great. Go, go doing the bare minimum. We love it. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, so with football, um, we'll go through this pretty quick because uh, uh, we're getting really long right now. Yeah. Uh, news from the last week, Jay Shaw, um, who we were projecting as one of UCLA's starting corners for next, next year because he spent most of the back half of this year as a starting corner, elected to transfer. Um, after announcing his return about a month ago, he then announced that he is transferring, and he ended up at Wisconsin. Um, this is obviously a real blow. For next year, um, this was a guy who I think was obvious to everyone's eye test. UCLA's best corner last year, um, and the coaching staff, you know, started him by the end of the year. He had some doghouse situations at the beginning of the year, um, but uh, he elected to move on um, to a good program too. Uh, another, you know, Keontes Lewis, I think, also ended up at Wisconsin. Let's um, just say that decision. Uh, there's you you if you're looking for blame, you, you probably shouldn't heap it just on one side. Yeah, I think no, it was a mutually a, uh, culpable situation. It was a tough a tough a tough uh, interplay, tough 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 situation between the parties. Um, but it does hurt UCLA um, because Shaw was going to play and he was going to be a key part. Um, well, what was funny is I kind of knew it was happening. And then when he said he was coming back, I went, okay. Weird. I, that was, yeah, that was a little weird. Um, and then they get a commitment from the Wyoming cornerback transfer, Azizi Hearn, who I, I've heard good things about, and they expect to come in and make an immediate impact, if not start like a Quantrez night kind of impact at cornerback. Um, you thought there for, wow. Okay. So they're looking good. They got this guy who might be a starter along with Jay Shaw returning starter. They got the young guys, you know, they got Devin Kirkwood. Um, 
So you're thinking, wow, this, and then literally it goes back to, oh, now, now they're uh, a little thin. Yeah, they need another body. I, I really think yeah. they do. Um, they need another guy who can play, who can at least be a two deep guy. Because I like Devin Kirkwood. I think he could maybe start next year, but you, you need a you need another dude. Um, uh, but this is what's interesting. This is what we were talking about. You and I. You did that story, which were transfer needs, and it was more like a transfer wish list, right. which is great. If you just think about where this roster is right now, with Zach Charbonnet returning with Dorian Thompson-Robinson returning, Mitchell Agudi returning, and all the other guys that have not made decisions but we're assuming are returning. Um, what they really need just to be good, let's say, is an offensive tackle. I think um, it's every other position, every other position, there are guys who would plug in that either started some games or played played extensively at that position last season, except offensive tackle. Yeah, they need they need a starting left tackle. Like yes. they need they need here's the the problem faced by UCLA, but also it is just one guy. They need the best they need to get their best offensive lineman for next year through the transfer portal. Yes. And that's that's the reality and it's an unfortunate reality and it's gonna be hard to come by. Yeah. But if they do that one thing that one thing alone, I think, makes this a nine and three team next year, um, because of the, because of that soft schedule. Because yeah. the schedule soft as hell. Like I think that one thing alone basically says, okay, we're in stasis from last year. Eight and fourteen from last year translated to next year is a nine and three team. Well, if you take this year's team <clears throat> and you just magically do a twilight zone and project them to play next season, it's nine and three. I think they're ten and two. <laughs> maybe, maybe very well could be. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the piece. Yeah, I think if we were doing that story as wants needs, the need is offensive tackle. Then it's a then it's a line, and then everything else is a want. Um, yeah. Now yeah. I think we're talking about okay. Well, we're always thinking how could you build a very good team out of this? And I think yeah. nine and three next year is actually like meh. It's it's fine, but it's like the weakest schedule in UCLA history to, to us because we know the schedule. And right. Just to qualify, the rest of the country will say, "Oh, nine and three, ten right. and two. UCLA is great this year. Look how good they are." But like next year, when because we used to Tracy and I used to do this in the early Mora years, where we'd be like, "Oh my god, 2014, that's the opportunity," or 2015, whatever <laughs> the year was. We were like, "Oh my god, look at that schedule. They could go eleven and one. They could go twelve and zero. They could be a national title contender." Um, that's the way this season would have presented to us when we back back in the olden days when we had expectations and hopes and dreams. Um, so next year, if they nailed a lot of pieces in the transfer portal because of the softness of that schedule, they could go eleven and one. They could have the best like by record year in UCLA history um, because the schedule is that soft. But there's a lot of pieces they would need to nail to get to that. But to just get to where we would think is like a kind of a bare minimum result for Chip Kelly's fifth year, nine and three, they need an offensive tackle. Yeah. Yes. Uh, unless there is some guy, one of the younger backup Thomas guys. Thomas Cole suddenly just became a dude. Who knows? Thomas Cole. And we don't, we can't tell you that because we've never been able to really watch practice. Right. And we're hoping this spring the new kinder gentler chip kelly yeah allows us to watch spring yeah that, that seems like it likely guys guys 
guys like him definitely change a lot over the course of their lives. When do you think he'll actually don uh, the next time he wears a UCLA gear? When will that be? <laughs> well, I think he's he's sort of doing like a it's like a protest. I think it's a no, no. Protest oh, move you right now. so nailed it. I remember Jim Mora. <laughs> Whenever he would come off some kind of dealing with UCLA that pissed him off, he would not wear UCLA gear for no, months. No, it would, it would be just black North faces constantly. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, no, it's totally a protest move. It's very petty, and I, I actually appreciate it very much. I think it's very funny, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cute. I like it. Um, I think it'll be spring. I think it's going to be spring practice where he gets back to wearing UCLA stuff. He's got to wear it for spring practice. So yeah. wait, that's a, that's a slam dunk. No oh, I don't think I don't think he's wearing any of it, any of it until then. I think it's just going to be pure Nike or Jumpman, but not UCLA. Really? I yeah. think we're going to have to see one. For one thing, we've got we've got. So you're saying during so this when he, contact wh- period, not one bit of UCLA gear. No recruiting visit will he wear UCLA gear. <laughs> However, if there's an official capacity interview where he has to be on camera or in like that sort of situation. Oh, yes. no. He, that's when he doesn't. That's, that's his big opportunity not to. In interviews that aren't on the field during, during practice when he's just doing like a review of signing day, he doesn't wear, he doesn't wear UCLA gear. It's very that's just, cool. That's the day when... It, and that's almost makes sense because you're not wearing it every day in the office. So, you know, you caught him in the office on signing day, so he's not wearing it. There's got to be one. There's got to be another. There's going to be one rando picture of him on uh, just uh, official visit. Something. He's got to wear it between now and spring. What are the odds? Let's take odds. Between now and when he first walks out the first day of spring, which he's wearing UCLA gear. What are the odds that we see Chip Kelly in? And this is pissing off so many it's people so because they just think it's just a petty little discussion. And I think, it's the kind of crap. I, really I, I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, he is. You're right. I mean, he's doing exactly what Mora did. It's a, it's, it's a little protest. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I love it. And then we didn't even talk about <laughs> that, that little pesky defensive coordinator hire. Um, everyone's asking me when Who is this going to happen? When is this going <laughs> to? Someone did post. Does he really need a defensive? <laughs> Will he really name one? He's going to go through a process of naming this. He's in. I don't think he feels he's in any hurry to do it. I don't think there's any urgency. He doesn't see. Yes, he'd want to get the DC in place to design his practice <laughs> schedule for when that starts up in March. But you know, he's he's a, he's. This will, he's got a couple of weeks until, you know, a dead, that kind of deadline at least. So I, I don't think he's not rushing to make the decision. He could make it tomorrow. He could decide, or it could, it it could take a week to two weeks. Right. And, you know, he he has Clancy Pendergast, who was on, who was the defensive uh, coordinator for the worst USC team of all time, but it sounds like he's not going to hire them. So he's probably, you're really disappointed, aren't you? He's probably evaluating the other defensive coaches from the worst USC team of all time to see if maybe one of them wants to join, like Kenichi Udizi, maybe. Well, let's just finish this. Um, uh, Kamari Ramsey, the UCLA signee who was playing in the Polynesian Bowl, dropped a little thing that he had heard talk about Jimmy Lake, the former Washington coach. I sign off on it. You sign off on that? I sign off. Because you've, even though you talk a good game, 
about pressuring defense, you secretly like that. Dude, that I, not I want good defense. I do not give a crap what it looks like. I just want a good defense. And I don't know if he provides it. I really don't because I know uh, Pete Kwiatkowski was the brains of that operation back when it was really, really good. But uh, he might, and I, I would take it. It's at least a hire that's justifiable. Um, I don't know if the politics of it, they'll allow him to do that because of how things ended for Jimmy Lake at Washington with the stuff about, you know, being abusive towards players. Um, I don't think that, I think the other thing that's not out there in the coaching world, uh, Jimmy Lake earned a reputation uh, in his last couple of years at Washington, a few years, as being highly arrogant and hard to get along with. And lazy recruiting. So I think that's the bigger stepping stone because Chip Kelly, if he's not anything, he's definitely a talk, a coach network guy. He's heard this. So it's a matter of whether, you know, Jimmy Lake is, uh, you know, getting a huge dose of humility and, and Chip thinks that that's, that it's legit. Go dust the, go dust the rust off of Dwayne Walker. Bring him back. Get the, get, get it, get, Get it back to 2008 again. Dwayne Walker's the DB coach at... Yeah, he's the cornerbacks and Nichols coach for Arizona. Arizona, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We just about did everything. Is there anything else about UCLA sports? Well, there's other things, but I'm, let's not talk I, about I'm it. I'm drained. There is no fluid left in my body. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. There you go, people. This will tide you over for a while. Yeah. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. And wait, we want to know about your results on yeah. those. Yeah, talk to tests. us about the T. Yeah, the T. Talk to us about the T. Okay. All right, bye-bye. See you.